Hi there, I'm Richard. I'm the senior pastor of Every Nation Auckland City. We are a multicultural, multi-generational, socially responsible church that makes disciples. We hope this message inspires you to honor God and make disciples. Well, I want to tell you a story from my own life to introduce what I'm sharing about this morning. You men, husbands, listen to me. I, this is a bit of a husband's story. Uh, like Pastor Richard said, my wife's going to be with the Lord, and I honor her memory this morning. But uh, I remember in my younger years in our marriage, uh, you know, like, well, I think many marriages, we go through seasons in our marriages. And uh, in the one of the early seasons of our marriage was um, we we had a no-talk time. You know, that's when something goes wrong and something's not right, and both parties, they live in the same house, they occupy much of the same space, but there's no communication. It's like, I see you, you see me, sufficient. <laughs> we, we, and it, it was our way of, we were learning, because we were a young married couple, and we were learning to, to you know, be in that same space with one another. And uh, this, this went on for two or three days. It wasn't, it wasn't that we didn't like each other, but we just didn't feel there was any middle ground and there was no space being made between us. And as a man, and I have to speak as a man because I, I haven't learned to think as a woman yet. <laughs> But, uh, but as a man, I, I, I was thinking of this circumstance and I thought, what can I do to maybe break the ice to get us talking again and moving forward, which we both wanted to do, but we weren't doing it. So I took it upon myself and I thought, if, if I do some good stuff, <laughs> then this lady will be impressed and that will soften the blow a little bit. So I occupied myself with doing stuff around the house. You see, I thought if, if I do enough good stuff, then it will melt the, 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 the frostiness and we'll get back to talking. But I was a man, thinking as a man, and so I did stuff. See, so I, I took it upon myself to do the vacuuming. I never got a thank you. I took it upon myself to do the dishes all the time, but I never got a thank you. I took it upon myself to make the bed when the bed needed to be made and change the sheets. I never got a thank you. And so after doing this for, for a day or so, and in my mind as a man, and I've got to keep saying that because that's where I'm thinking from, as a man I thought, this doesn't seem to be working. Why is it that I'm doing all this stuff and this lady doesn't appreciate it? How many men, no, don't put your hand up. It could be embarrassing. But I'm sure other men have felt that same dilemma. You know, it's like you do stuff. You do good stuff. But it doesn't work. So with this dilemma continuing, I, I decided that the, all this stuff is not working. And it wasn't that I was getting tired doing it, but I thought, I, I just don't want to carry on like this. So there was a moment, there was an opportune moment for us to sit and talk, and I don't know what created the moment, I have to believe it was a God moment, where I, I, we, we, we actually communicated, we actually said something to each other, 
And in the middle of this discussion, I said, Elaine, that was her name. I said, Elaine, I need you to help me understand something. And she looks at me with this wife look. <laughs> and, and she said, what, what do you mean? I said, Elaine, what, what was wrong with what I was doing? I said, I was doing all this stuff that I thought you'd appreciate, but you never said thank you. And she looked at me just as plainly as one thing and just said, you were doing stuff to make yourself happy. It wasn't making me happy. And I'm thinking, huh? You know, again, I'm a man thinking like a man. And I said, well, what do you mean? I said, didn't you, didn't you think it was good that I did the dishes? Oh, it was okay, but so what? I made the beds, so what? I did this, so what? And I said, Elaine, what, was, what, what, what should I have done? She said, you should have asked me what I want you to do. And it was like a light went on in my head. See, the one thing I hadn't done was ask her what she wanted. I was doing stuff because I thought it would be making her happy. Men, don't be dumb like me. Take time to say to them, what would you like me to do? She said, Alec, if you'd done one thing, ask me, and done that, I would have been more than happy, and I would have said thank you. But she said, why should I say thank you when you're doing stuff I don't want you to do? I'll say thank you when you do stuff that is for me. You did it because you thought if you did enough good stuff, I'd be happy with you. I'm not going to get happy with you because you do stuff to make me happy. I'll do stuff when you, my stuff. You were doing your stuff, not my stuff. So men, take a leaf from my book. Learn, stop and ask the question. But dare I say, I think, because we had this conversation with my wife, it works both ways. Don't presume you know what your husband or wife wants. Take time to ask them. I believe one of the greatest gifts that we can give to our, each other is communicating. And the same with our children. Don't just presume you know what your children want. Ask them. Talk to them. Communicate. I'll tell you what, from that day, and I, I mean this to honor God, from that day, our marriage took a quantum leap forward and we lived for, well, we were married for over 50 plus years. And, and I truly can stand here today with a pure heart and say, God, I had no regrets. Everything that needed to be said between us two had been said. Everything that needed to be done had been done. There was nothing left undone or unsaid. And I suggest that you work at doing that too. Okay? That's just by the by. But it leads me into what I want to share this morning. We live in an age, and I truly believe we do, where there's a lot of caring going on. People care about the whales. Who's a whale lover? I'm not a whale eater, but a whale lover. There, you know, there are people that love the whales and endangered animals. There are people that care about the climate. Oh, you've got to do this because of the climate. You can do this because of the climate. People care about the planet. People care about human rights. All these cares are genuine cares. We've just had an election. And, and throughout the election, different parties were propagating different cares that they perceived to be the needs of our nation. I would suggest to every politician that's been elected, stop and listen to the people. Don't presume you know what 
This is what I'm thinking. Why is it that 80 or 120 people sit in a building in Wellington and act on my behalf without asking my opinion? It's, it's, it doesn't seem logical. It doesn't seem logical. May we even in the church never presume. I speak to your pastor. Ha <laughs> ha. Don't you presume you know what your people want unless you're communicating with them. The Bible says, look well to the state of your flock. That's a scripture in Psalms. A good shepherd looks to the state of his flock. In other words, he walks amongst his sheep and he examines them, he talks with them, and he communicates with them. He feels what they feel and he touches what they touch. I believe there's something about this whole subject that we need to take hold of. I want to take you to a passage of Scripture this morning. It's a familiar one, but I want to use it as a foundation. I want to take you to John chapter 3. And we're going to start at verse 16, and we're going to go through to verse 18. Many of us can quote John 3.16 because that's what we good Christians do. But 16 is only a lead-in to 17 and 18. Listen to what it says. I'm reading NIV. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now we normally stop there, but we're going to keep on reading. For God, listen, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Powerful, powerful, powerful stuff. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he does not believe in the name of God's one and only son. There's, there's so much compacted into these three verses. You know, we're great at quoting John 3.16. I, I love it. It's a, it's a foundational verse for us as believers. But the Bible is a whole text. It's a whole Bible. You know, it's great that we know parts of it, but we've got to know the truth of the Bible and the fullness of it. Amen. See, I make this statement. I'm going to go to, have I got my first slide up there, please? What does it mean to love someone or something like God loves? What does it really mean? Again, I take you into my life. As I said, or Pastor Richard mentioned and I reiterated, my wife went home to the Lord in 2019. The day before she died, or the night before she died, I was sitting with her. I'd been there for several days with her. In the last two or couple of days of her life, she was not able to communicate. They, because of the pain level, she had got to a place where the doctors, for her well-being, had said, Elaine, we need to medicate you with a strong medicine so that brings the pain under control. She was in a lot of pain. She never complained about it, but they knew she was in a lot of pain. However, they said, when we give you this medication, some medical people here would know what I'm talking about, but they said, when we give you this medication, the chances will be, Elaine, that you will not be able to talk and you won't be able to communicate with your family at this point. You may hear something, but you may not be able to respond to it. And so that was, decision was made and, and was agreed to by my wife and the doctors. So they medicated accordingly. So that night... Now she's in this state where she's just laying on the bed. My children had gone home. They'd been supporting me with being with their mother. But they'd gone home, and it's 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm sitting in Middlemore Hospital in a cubicle with just my wife and I. It was a private cubicle because she had no immune system functioning, so she had to be isolated. 
So I'm sitting beside the bed, and this is one o'clock in the morning, and I love my wife. I loved her before that she died, but I loved her as she was dying in that respect. Not that we knew she was dying in that moment of time. But I'm sitting beside the bed, and about one o'clock in the morning, God speaks very clearly to me. I'm sitting beside my wife, and he says to me, Alec, I want you, I want to teach you, I'm um I want to teach you to love your wife like I love you. I want to teach you to love your wife like I love you. And I, I'm again still in my human life, which I am, and we all are. I, I went back to God and I said, But God, I've loved this girl for fifty, nearly fifty-six years. I when we met, we were quite young. She was only 15 when we met, I was 18, a very mature 18. <laughs> I thought I was anyway. So from day one, I, I, there was something about this girl that was special, and I maybe not have called it love, but I went on a journey, and three years later we got married, and then we started a family three years later again. So throughout all the years, if you'd asked me, did I love my wife, I would have told you yes, 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 every day. And so when God is saying, I want to teach you about to love your wife like I love you, I was asking God, what, what do you mean? And then God dropped this on me. He said, Alec, this is the very first time in all your relationship with Elaine that she's never been able to respond to you. This is the very first moment in all your life with her, and it's over 50 plus years, that she cannot respond to you verbally, physically, or any other way. But he said, I still expect you to love her. Because that's exactly how God loves you today. He loves you without any strings attached. He doesn't love you because you do, or you are, or you shall be. He simply loves you. He loves you without any expectation. See, I had... At that moment of time, I realized that often when we love, we love with expectation. And this is the way it works. I'll put it between these two. I will love you as long as you love me. But when you stop loving me, that's my excuse to stop loving you. So we love conditionally. We love to get. I will love you, sister, as long as you love me back. If you don't love me back, then that's my excuse not to love you. That's why marriages fail. That's why things fall apart. It's because we're living with conditional love. We're living with conditional love attached to our lives. And we've got to grow up. We've got to grow up and become godly people and godly men and women to learn to love unconditionally and unexpectedly. See, if you're loving to get, then you're not loving at all. Your love has become very selfish. See, I'll love you if I spoke to my wife, and I'll use my wife, and I don't think she'd mind. Sometimes as a young man in my unknowingness, I loved my wife in the sense of what I could get from her physically and sexually. You know, as long as she was satisfying me, I felt happy with her. When she wasn't satisfying me, then there was something that changed in me. And sadly, that's the truth of many people. They love because of what they can get out of what they say they love. And God wants us to stop living like that. If there was ever a day that we, the church, have got to readjust our thinking. See, listen to what it says. For God so loved the world, he gave. 
We've got to come to a place, church, and I speak to the church as a universal body, we've got to come to a place where we start to love the world like God loves the world. We, we must learn to love the world without an expectation. The world does not have to change to deserve your love. It deserves your love even if it doesn't change. Your neighbors don't have to change to deserve your love. God says, love them. Oh, but if you only understood my life, Pastor Alec, and you knew what I mean, I'm sorry, no excuse. There is no excuse not to love God's way. You cannot call yourself a son or daughter of God and, and, and have reservations about how to love. Our love has got to become such a love that is, it's more willing to give with no sense of receiving. Because that's exactly what Jesus did for you. You imagine if Jesus put the same condition on love as you put upon love. None of us would have any right to be in this room today. He would have a reason to reject us all. Because we've all failed at some time. And because we failed, he could have said, well, okay, I give up on you and I'll start with another bunch. I told this to my church many years ago, Pastor Richard, I don't advocate you say it. But I remember standing in front of my church one time and said, you people should be glad that I'm not God. Because if I was God, I'd wipe you all out and start and find a better bunch. Because you know? some of you come to church late. And I don't like lateness. <laughs> you know, some of you find the least excuse to miss church. And, yeah. you know, that would, be enough, no, I, that would be enough for me to dismiss you from the team. Like a man broke curfew in the All Blacks and he wasn't allowed to play. But in church, we are... Oh, We've just got to make room for everybody. Well, maybe the, rule, maybe the rules are going to change. I tell you what, I believe God's going to lift the standard of the house of God. And if the, if the standard of the house of God is going to be lifted, then that's going to affect you and I. See, we look at this love that is spoken about, for God so loved the world. And I'm, you know, Pastor Richard talks to you being a discipling church, and I'm glad you are. But don't make discipling the goal of your life. Make loving Jesus the goal of your life and discipling will become a part of it. That's my view. See, you can become a disciple and not love God. You can know all the rules and all the regulations. You can do all the right things but still not have a relationship with God. We've got to get to the place where our love for God is central and settled and fixed in place. See, agape is this love that is a special kind of love. I said to God after my discussion with him that night in the hospital, I said, God, why didn't you teach me this 50 years ago? I believe I would have been a better husband, a better father, even a better pastor. If I'd learned to love that lesson that way, way, way back. See, many of us, we presume that we're loving correctly. But when you begin to scratch away the surface of your love, I tell you, like me, you'll find there's some kinks and some cracks in your love. Because your love is conditional. See, I love church because when I go there, I feel happy. But when the church doesn't make me happy, that's my reason to leave the church. Oh, I'm sorry. If the church doesn't make you happy, that's not an excuse to leave it. Psalm 68, verse 6, God sets the solitaries in families. In other words, God has a spiritual home for each and every one of us. 
I'm in the church. I pastored it for 32 years. I stepped aside as the senior pastor five years ago. My wife and I, she was still alive then. We stepped aside. I passed it on to another couple. I'm still in the church as a member of the church. I have no governmental authority in that church. They recognize me as a pastor and as a prophet. But I have no governmental authority. My being in that church is not a coincidence. God put me there. I've, I've been offered other, I'm not going to tell you where, but I've been, several other churches have asked me to come and join them and be their prophet. And they'll even, one even offered me a salary in a, in a car park, Pastor Richard. <laughs> come and join us, Pastor Alec. We'll give you a car park and a salary. And you don't even have to come to the office. And I said, I can't leave unless God tells me. But I meet people today that they jump around churches. Oh, I'm here today and gone tomorrow. I'm sorry, that doesn't line up with true love. See, when you, when you know where you are is where you're meant to be, loving it becomes easy. You imagine a wedding service. Again, I'll pick on these two young people in the front here. You imagine the deal at a wedding. I'm the officiating minister. I can perform weddings still. You imagine if the deal went like this. Uh, Richard, will you take this lady you know, to be your love, willful widowed wife, to have and to hold from this day forward. And for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, forsaking all others, keep thee under his health. And the question would normally would be, yes, I do. But he says, oh, I will as long as she does da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> you know, just think, you know, what a marriage would be like if we start putting conditions on the table. I will marry you, but, 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 but. Yes. And then it comes to her. What about this man? Take him, but, 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 but. So I promise you that marriage is going to fail. Because it's not based on love. It's based on expectation. He is expecting this one to be something and she is expecting this one. We've got to get away from this kind of expectation. If it's love, then let it be real love. You know, it's not goosebumps and feelings. Oh, I have this goosebumps and feelings. (laughs) How pathetic is that? <laughs> Marriage was not built based on feelings. Yes. I'm sorry, but it isn't. If your marriage is based on feelings, come and have some counseling. <laughs> Get it back based on real love. You know, like what did Jesus say in John's gospel? He said, except someone lay down their life for their friends. You know, they haven't even started to love I made ask myself this question, how many people would I die for? I'm not asking you to do it, but I ask myself that question. How many people would I die for? Because the scripture said, no greater love than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends. So I started to think, I would have died for my wife. I would have died for her without a doubt. I would have died for my three children without a doubt. I, I've learned that I think I would have died for my son and daughter-in-laws as well. There's three. I've got five grandchildren, and I'd like to think I'd die for them. But I've come to this conclusion, I don't know whether I'd die for you. And yet the Word of God says, there's a place of love that I can learn to die for you, if it need be. See, it's easy to say, oh, I'd die for you, but when the reality comes and a gun is put to your head, would you really die? Who would you die for? See, only the people that we truly love will be willing to die for them. One missionary wrote me a letter recently, or I shouldn't say recently, probably in the last 12 months, and this is what he put in his letter, Pastor Richard. He said, Alec, 
is what you're living for worth dying for? Is what you're living for worth dying for? If you're living for Christ, is He worth dying for? Because if you're living for Him, then dying for Him should be a natural progression. Because if you're only living for Him because of the circumstances of your life, oh, He makes me feel good. Sorry, not enough of a reason. Because when the pressure comes on, you'll desert Him and leave Him. His disciples did that. They ran away. They, 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 they ran away from him in a sense. God was gracious and came back and restored it all and put things back in place. But I'll tell you what, it's, it's too easy to say we love something and not actually practice it. Yes. So good. Let's go to the next slide, par- number four. This kind of loving will cause you to reprioritize your life completely. I, I'm, this is not a suggestion, church. This is the truth. If you really truly have an encounter with Christ, you will totally reprioritize your life. It's not, it's not just a tweaking, it's a reprioritizing. What are we told in Matthew's gospel? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. In other words, there's a priority that needs to be established at the beginning of everything. It, it, it precedes your marriage, it precedes your work, it precedes your family and your children. Seek first the kingdom. And the other things take their rightful place. But what we do is we fit God into our lives. Like, this is my part, my part, my part. Here's God's little part. Here's my part, my part, my part. Sorry, no good. God has to be first. You might say, well, God, is God a selfish God? No, He's just a God of love. And because He knows what's best for us, he tells us how to do it the best way. So he said, put me first. And then what does he say? Seek ye first and the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. We're not going to be depleted. We're not going to be robbed. We're not going to be able to not enjoy life. But if we put God's first, we'll have all the other things and enjoy them better. And we'll have more of them. Think of King Solomon. He went to God and he asked for one thing. He said, God, give me wisdom. And then God commended him. He said, because you asked for the best thing, I'll give you the rest as well. You will never be the lesser person when you put God first. You'll never be the lesser person. You'll actually be the richer person. And we, the church, have to learn this. See, if we're going to make a difference in this world, then we have to be different. I make no apologies in stating that. If we want to change this world, I, I made God this promise, Pastor Richard. When I came out of pastoring, I said, God, what is going to be my mission for the rest of my life? And this is what I feel God said to me. Alec, if you can change one life a day, I'll be happy. I don't go out to try to change six billion people. I'm not God. But I can change one person's life every day. I can change one person's life every day. See, you can change at least one person's life. He gave you a year to do it. I'm giving you a day. Every day you can do something that can impact another person's life. But if you get up in the morning with no intent to do it, I'll tell you what, that day will go by and you will do nothing and you'll come to the end of the day feeling unfulfilled and dissatisfied. 
But I tell you what, you begin to get engaged with God and love the world as God loves it, you'll change one life and you'll come home and feel, boy, that was a good day. Because the focus is not on you, your focus is on God. People are looking for job satisfaction. You won't get it until you satisfy God. People are looking for marriage satisfaction. You won't get it until you're satisfying God. I'm sorry, but this is the truth of God's word. Seek ye first the kingdom. And the rule of the kingdom is loving like God loves. I make no apology. Loving like he. This kind of love cannot be fitted around other things. It replaces other things or at least redefines them. You know, when I tried to please my wife, I was doing it because I thought if I did enough good stuff, she'd be happy. But when she said to me, Alec, if only you'd do, come and ask me what I want, I'll be happy. I realized that same principle is the truth of God. If you woke up, if I woke up every morning and said, God, what's on your heart for me to do today? I'll tell you, our days would go a lot better. If we got up every morning and said, God, what's on your heart for me to do today? I'll tell you what, our days would go better. We could do all the stuff that we need to do, and that would be wonderful, but we'd do God's stuff, and I'll tell you what, it'd be more successful. See, this may sound like a great idea. Next slide, please. This may sound like a great idea, but actually choosing to love like this will cost you everything. It's going to cost you everything. See, some people struggle with that statement. You know, they're so preoccupied with having, getting, requiring, and needing. We've got to come to a place where we can say, God, I want to make it no longer about me. I want to make it about you. I want to make it about you. Like Pastor Richard said, I've had the privilege, and I call it a privilege, to go. I've been in, I think, 36 countries now at different times. I've seen the wealthiest, some of the wealthiest people in the world, but I've also been among some of the poorest people of the world. And sometimes, you know, you know, I'm so grateful for those experiences. I don't perceive myself to be the wealthiest person, neither do I perceive myself to be the poorest. But I want to tell you, I've come to appreciate what I have. I've come to learn to appreciate what I have. This body standing in front of you, this last year, I celebrated my 79th birthday. <laughs> 79 years. And I'm looking out at some of you young people, you look more tired than I feel. Some of you look more tired than I feel. Matter of fact, I, I've got this reputation that other people get tired and worn out, and I keep on going. I'm like that little energizer, you know, energizer battery. Do, 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 do. The, your battery goes flat, but mine doesn't. I, I've got a constant recharge going. I mean, here's another thing. I'm, I only boast in God. Please believe me. I'm only boasting in God. I got invited to a church in Australia. On a Saturday, Pastor Richard, I think I told you the story, but I'll tell you, church. I'm sitting in my house. That's where my little office is. I'm sitting in my little office on a Saturday, and I get a phone call from a man in Australia, pastor. And he said, is that Pastor Alec Larson? And I said, yes, it is. He said, uh, would you be interested or would you be available to come to my church and pray for some of my leaders and people in the church? And I said, oh, yeah, that's okay. So I opened up my diary and I said, when would you like me to come? This is Saturday. He said, we'd like you to fly over on Monday. 
So this is Saturday. He wants me there on Monday. I look at my diary and I've got an appointment on Monday. I said, I can't make it Monday, but I could come Tuesday. And he said, that's good. And I said, well, if I come Tuesday, I've got to be home for Wednesday night. This is flying to Melbourne in Australia. I said I'd go. So I caught the plane in New Zealand. I was at the airport at 7 o'clock on Tuesday morning, caught a 9 o'clock flight, landed in Melbourne at about 11 o'clock. They took me immediately to the pastor's house. There was a line of people there at the pastor's house for me to prophesy over. So I started praying and prophesying over people straight away. I prayed through that period of time. About half past one, they stopped and gave me a cup of coffee and a sandwich. I, I hope I get more than a sandwich today. But anyway, <laughs> I had a, a cup of coffee and a sandwich, and then they put me back. Well, I don't back to work. They released me again to minister. I carried on praying for people till five o'clock in the afternoon. They stopped and took me aside and gave me a, an, another cup of coffee and another sandwich. <laughs> and that was dinner time. Then they took me to the church. Because unbeknownst to me, because of what had been happening in the house, they, they were excited about it, so they began to ring people in the church. So I turned up at the church at about 6 o'clock, and there were a queue of people waiting to be prophesied. I prayed with people up until half past 12 that night. From 6 o'clock to half past 12 that night, I was praying for people. At half past 12, they picked me up and put me in a car, took me to a house. I had a sleep. I got up in the morning, had a shower. I had, I had breakfast in the morning, had a cup of coffee and a slice of toast, and took me straight back to the church. I was back at the church before 9 o'clock in the morning. I prayed for people again up until 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Individually prayed for people. At 1 o'clock in the afternoon, they took me back to the airport. I caught a plane back to New Zealand. I was back in New Zealand. My total time of being an Australian was just over 24 hours. About three days later, the pastor rings me up. And he said to me, Pastor Alec, he said, that was amazing. And I, I'm sorry, again, not pride, but not proud, but speaking the truth. For me, it was just the norm of my life these days. He said, it was amazing. And I said, what do you mean? He said, do you know how many people you prayed for in that 24-hour period you were with us? I said, I have no idea. He said, we do. We kept a record of every name that came through the room that you prayed for. He said, you prayed for 240 people, individually and personally. And, and I, I, when I got on the plane and I was going back to New Zealand, I was bouncing off the walls. <laughs> I, I wasn't depleted. I was you know, re, re fired. See, here's a scripture for you. How many of you know Isaiah where it says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength? Come on, who knows that verse? Come on, put your hand up. Be honest, be honest. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up as wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Great verse. We all quote it. But we've been misled. We've been reading it the wrong way. Let me give you the truth of that scripture. In the, in the King James Bible, it says, they that wait upon the Lord. In my language, which is English, of course, New Zealand person, W-A-I-T, wait means to stay and remain. If I said to Pastor Richard, wait there, that means he all he has to do is be in that place. I could leave the room, go anywhere. I could come back in an hour's time. I expect to find him there because he has to do nothing, just be there. That's what wait means to us. We have waiting rooms where you go to the hospital, you go to a waiting room. Hairdresser, a waiting room. You, you, you're told to be there just to do wait. Wait doesn't mean you do anything, it just means you stay in the same place. That's the wrong translation of that verse. This is what it means. The word wait in that context is the same word for waiter. W-A-I-T-E-R, waiter. The classic example in the Bible is the man Nehemiah. Nehemiah was the cupbearer. 
to the king. Say this pulpit was the king. Nehemiah's job was to stay at the king's disposal 24 hours a day, available to him at any time when he wanted him to be there. His job was to wait, but not to do nothing, but to wait to serve. And if you want to know the enabling of God, the anointing of God, you want to know the empowering of God, then position yourself beside Christ and be at his disposal. You that wait upon the Lord shall renew your strength. See, when you're waiting upon yourself by sleeping in your bed, that's not waiting. That's being slack and lazy. If you want to have the strength that I have, I believe, start doing what I do. Start engaging with God's work and God's purposes. I find when I'm serving God in the capacity I am serving Him, I I find an energy and a strength to keep on doing it. I've just come from a conference where we had over 4,000 people in this conference in Malaysia. I looked around the conference, Pastor Richard, and to my amazement, there was only one other white person in the whole building. I was the minority. (laughs) But I want to tell you, standing there, being available to serve God was a powerful experience. See, when you position yourself, when you come to church, let me put this to rest. When you come to church, you don't come to sit in church, you come to wait on God. Do you hear that? I'm not coming to church for a performance. You are not an audience. If you see yourself as in the audience, then you have no concept of church. You are the body of Christ. And you all need to be at God's disposal, no matter where you sit in this building, whether you sit on the front row or the back row. It's not these people that are serving God. You're meant to be serving God in your seat and in your pew. That's where you wait upon God. See, if you're walking here with a blank mind, I'll tell you what, you'll walk out with one too. But if you come in with a mind that's engaged, God, you've got me here for a reason. You've got me here for a purpose. I want to fulfill my destiny in this meeting today. I'll tell you what, you'll leave this place energized because you're engaging with God. This is not a club. This is not, what is it? Every nation church club. Come on Sunday and have a bit of a giggle and a laugh at Pastor Richard's silly jokes. I'm sorry, Pastor Richard. I told his wife I thought some of his jokes were silly. No, this, this is not an entertainment center. This is an engagement center. I'll tell you this is a truth. You, again, I push your brain this morning. This room is more important than every hospital theater that surgery is taking place up there in the hospitals tonight. They can heal bodies, but they cannot heal souls. They can restore bodies, but they can't restore people to the kingdom of God. That's what we can do in this place. That's what you're meant to be doing in this place. This is, this is please, if I'm disturbing you this morning, good job. Because if, if, I, if you don't, I'm, I'm saying your pastor doesn't speak the truth, but it's time for the church to grow up. You know, Paul talks to the church, he said, I gave you milk because you're babies. Are you still having baby food in church? You ought not to be. You ought not to be babies. You should be able to handle strong meat. Strong belongs to the strong. You know, I, 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 I speak to you honestly because 
I, I, I'd been where some of you are. I, I went along to church and it was so easy to get into the spectator mode. You know, it's like, what show is Pastor Richard going to put on today? Oh, okay, pretty cool, Pastor Richard. And it doesn't change my life at all. It, it's, the truth is, it's not up to him to change your life. It's up to him. But unless you're engaging with him, he will never change your life. Never, never will. Here's another one. Put up the next slide, please. Matthew 10, 38. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. I, I, this, is, this is serious stuff, church. This, this, is not, this is not a suggestion. This is a requirement. If we don't take up our cross... We're not worthy. I can't carry your cross. I can't even carry the cross my children, my grandchildren. I've got to encourage them to pick up their cross. But if I'm going to say it to my own children, I need to say it to you too. This, this Christian journey is, is not easy. If anybody tells you being a Christian is an easy life, forget it. I'm not going to lie to you. Jesus never lied to us, so I'm not going to start lying to you either. Come to Jesus and all your problems will be solved. <laughs> this man that stands in front of you, I, I had a heart attack. I had five bypasses done on my heart. I had a part of my lung removed. I broke my pelvis when I fell off a ladder. You know, I, I gave a loan money to somebody, my wife and I loan, and they went bankrupt and lost their money plus our money. Oh, I know what it is to, to, to be touched by things that can touch people's lives. But the challenge to me is, what was my attitude like all the way through that journey? Could I still hang on to God and still I could have trust Him? Still I could have believed in Him? Could I still love Him? Yes, 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 yes. My circumstances didn't change my attitude towards God. May not your circumstances change your attitude towards God. See, when you love Him enough, staying in love becomes easy. Did you hear that? If you love him enough, staying in love becomes easy. I remember as a young Christian, I, I, you know, we, I'm, I, I predate many of you. Some people think I'm a dinosaur. But, but in churches when I was a child, we, we sang a simple little chorus. The words of the song went like this. I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. He gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Oh, what a love between my Lord and I. I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. Oh. But I realize that's what Pastor Richard says to his wife every morning. I keep falling in love with you over and over and over and over again. That's a big hope, so. <laughs> but you know, you know, when's the last time you fell in love with Jesus? I fell in love with him again this morning. Not because I came to this church, because I woke up. You know, some people wake up and say, good Lord, morning. I wake up and say, good morning, Lord. See, it's the way you put your words together. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not scared of tomorrow. Because if God wakes me up tomorrow, God's got something for me to do tomorrow. No, no problems. No struggling, no striving. He's the God of my past. He's my God of my present. But he's the God of my future. 
He's got the whole world in his hands. 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 He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. He's got you and me, sister, in his hands. Oh, I'm having fun. (laughs) But when you love him, doing what I do becomes easy. You might say, oh, you're just a fanatical pastor. Oh, if that's my title, but in your opinion, I'm glad of it. I'll wear that badge any time. You know what a fanatic is? Just somebody that loves something more than you do. (laughs) That's all a fanatic is. Somebody that loves something more than you do. So if I'm a fanatic in your mind, that means I just love him a bit more than you do. Oh, suck it up. (laughs) Next slide, please. Listen to what the writer says. Our brother quoted Galatians this morning. Listen to what it says in Galatians. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Talks about a wonderful place of transition. Are you living in the world or is the world living through you? I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. I'm made of different stuff. And God wants you to be made of different stuff. Excuse me, Pastor Richard. There's not a thing that he cannot do. There's not a place he cannot take you. There's not a circumstance he cannot change. God says, I've heard the cry of your heart. And those things that you thought could never be, God says, don't give up on them. Because if they came to you from the heart of God, then God says, what I promise shall surely come to pass. And you will not be kept from your dreams and from your desires. But it's not for you to work it out according to your own schedule. Because that's what you've been doing. You've been putting dates and days. And God said, don't write dates and days. Just put it back in my hands and let me do what only I can do. But God says, I've got it all under control. And he can take care of it better than you can. You know, this is the truth of God. We can just, we can just move in God and... and and hear from God and respond to God. And, and God can do in us and through us what he wants to do. See, I'm crucified to the world. Yes. See, I, I could use my, my conditions and my body as an excuse to sit down and do nothing. And nobody would blame me. I've had people say to me, Pastor Alec, why don't you retire and find a place in the sun? I, 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 for me, the word retire is sin. <laughs> You know, I may stop doing one thing, but there's always something else to do. You know? what I, I said to God, what do you want me to do in this latter part of my life? And I still think, Pastor Richard, I'm, I believe I've still got 41 years to go. Because I want to live to be about 120. If you want to die young, go off and do it quietly. <laughs> leave us that want to live a long time. Leave us alone. You go away and do it. But leave us alone. If we want to live, let us live. You know, but I, I don't want to live as this old dory old man. You know, oh, glory to God. I remember the good old days. Uh, my good old days are still happening. My good old days are still happening. And God wants your good old days to still be happening. You know, these people say, oh, I remember when. I can't remember when. I'm too, too involved in doing what I'm doing. I, I'm too occupied with this moment and the moments to come. You see, we've got to we've got to start caring as God cares. 
What is God preoccupied with today? Is he preoccupied with the elections of New Zealand? Nah. That's just, that's to, that much to God. Is he concerned with the All Blacks win or lose today? It doesn't, it's not going to change anything in the heavenlies. What he's concerned about is engaging you, teaching you how to love like he loves, teaching you how to listen more than you listen. You know? See, listen to what, next slide please, PowerPoint 8. This cross that Jesus said to pick up, it's not going to be an easy one. It's going to cost us to pick it up. It's going to mean that we, we take on different roles and different responsibilities. We put God's priorities first before our own. We start to make adjustments, not because we don't like it, but because we, we believe it's right. You know, I, I truly am glad. I truly am glad to have Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm unashamed to say it. I would not be standing here today without a Christ that loved me. But I'm not here trying to focus on what I want. I'm trying to focus on what he wants. Even after 50 plus years of walking as a Christian, the cry of my heart, God, not my will, but your will be done. That's the cry of my heart. But some of you haven't come to that place yet, and I encourage you, please come there. Come to that place where you stand before the cross and say, Lord, not my will anymore, but your will be done. I truly believe if, if we enter into it, I'll tell you what, it, it'll transform our homes, our families, our marriages, as us and our workplaces, and it even can change from a nation. It certainly can change a church. It can change a church. See, learning to care for what he cares for is significantly important. Next slide, please. The first thing I see when I look at the, his caring, he was willing to look at the needs of others before he considered his own. Have you stopped to think about the needs of others today? Have you thought about the needs of other people in this room? When you walked into church, did you come with an attitude, God, if there's somebody in the church that I need to be praying for today? Now, most of you came and say, oh, God, I, I need you to touch me. Touch me, Lord, touch me. What selfishness. Really, that's a selfish prayer. See, when we learn to minister to others, our needs will be taken care of. But when the focus is upon yourself, I'm sorry, you rob yourself of the blessing that God wants to bless you with. Jesus was willing to put your needs above his own. What did he say on the cross? Think of the words of Christ. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Well, today I'm leaving you without an excuse. You know now what to do. So you won't be able to use that as an excuse. I didn't know what to do. Pastor Alec told you what to do. Learn to love like he loves and learn to care like he cares. That's, what is it? Lesson 001. Is it called 001? Is it how they, how do they? 101. 101 in discipleship. Caring for what he cares for. Oh, discipleship becomes easy. Keep it up. See, if we read the Gospels, we see again and again, he was willing to put the needs of others before himself. He was willing to stop and be the answer to the needs right in front of him. I've met people who say to me, oh, but Pastor Alec, you know, I haven't come across a need at this point of time. Then I tell you what, open your eyes. We live in a world of needs. This is how interesting it goes for me these days. I, I can go to a coffee shop and I, at 
I don't, I'm telling you to take me to a coffee shop. It's very good. But I, I could go out for a meal or a coffee shop anywhere. And when I'm sitting there, I open my heart and say, God, is there somebody here you want me to speak to? And many more times than often, God will direct me to a person or maybe, maybe a table. And I'll go across. You know what Pastor Richard said is true. You know, the biggest hindrance for you speaking out for God is you. It's not the other person. I can testify with the hand of my heart, my hand up to God. I can testify in 40 years of approaching people, telling them I'm a Christian and God's got something to hear from, they've got something to hear from me from God. I've never had one person in 40 years ever say no to me. I testify to that with my hand on my Bible and my hand on my heart. Every time I don't do it, it's because I choose not to. Every time I've done it and I believe God has prompted me to do it, I've never had anybody, even non-Christians have allowed me to speak to them. Mind you, I don't come up to them and say, Yea, verily, thus saith the Lord. No, I don't talk like that in a coffee bar. But I'd come up and say, Hey, listen, I'm a Christian and God puts things in my heart for people. Can I share what I feel God's saying to you? Truly, in 40 years, nobody's ever said no to me. In 40, not just four years, but 40 years. So the times when you don't speak, don't blame the other person. Take responsibility. The responsibility is you because you're not willing to open your mouth and be used of God. You say you come to church, oh, I want to be used of you, but you don't let God use your voice in the marketplace. When are we going to become what God wants us to become? When are we going to start caring as Jesus cared? You know, in the Bible, there's story after story where Jesus, here's one in Matthew 8. Jesus comes to the house of Peter and he sees the mother all laying sick in a bed. There's no request. The woman doesn't, oh, Jesus, come and heal me. He, all he saw was a need. He responded to the need. He went to this lady. He said, he touched her and the fever left her. Wonderful miracle. But this is the power of a miracle. It says she got up and started to wait upon them. We camp around the miracle. That lady could have, oh, look, I've been healed. Ooh. She got out of bed and started doing something with the miracle. See, some of you have experienced miracles, but it's dead miracle. It's done nothing to you. It's changed nothing of your life. I want to see more miracles. I truly do. I've seen, I, see, I believe, I've shared this testimony in this church about God raising my own son from the dead. I live with that son. He's 45 years of age now. Every time I see him, I thank God. God, there's a miracle walking in front of me. I live with a miracle. So you don't have to convince me miracles are true. They are true. I could take you to other places in the world where miracles happen. It's not about me. It's about the God that I believe in. But until we start to believe as we're meant to believe and act as we're meant to act, we will never see what we're meant to see. In the story, this woman never requested healing. Jesus simply went and healed her. You don't have to wait for somebody to invite you to pray. If you think there's a need, go up and make yourself available. It's like I should be able to walk up to your brother and say, hey, listen, how's your life going? Is there anything you would like me to pray for? You might say no. Okay, that's cool. Can I just speak a blessing of you? You could say yes or no, but I, we don't have to be offended. But most of us will never do that. Oh, that's too personal. Why? Don't you think Jesus would do that? Don't you think Jesus would come and present himself to you and say, hey, listen, have you got a need that you'd like me to minister to? He would not be troubled by it. So why should we be troubled? We've created barriers that don't mean to be there. 
We, we hide behind culture. We hide behind the ethics. We hide behind all manner of things. It's time for us to stop hiding and start to be the Christ to the world that we're meant to be. All the miracles God didn't happen in church. Yes, God can perform miracles here, but he can perform them out there. I, I've been saying this publicly, and I, I, I'm going to stand and run the risk with, I don't think I'll run the risk with him. If what we do here on Sunday doesn't change the world out there tomorrow, doing what we're doing in here is a waste of time. I make no apology. If what we do in here calling a church doesn't change out there tomorrow or even this afternoon, then what we do is a waste of time. Becomes a waste of time. Now you may not hear too many people talk like this, but he's given me the pulpit and the freedom to talk. You can sort him out afterwards. You know. Next slide, please. Knowing the heart, his heart, is the most important issue when it comes to revival and renewal. I, 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 I'm believing. I was in a great big conference in Malaysia, and it's to do with renewal. It really is. I, be, I, I, I believe there's something about, well, I feel we're in the, on the edge of it, as it were. We're, there's something that's forming in God, I believe, for this period of time. We can put revival to it. We can put renewal to it. We can put whatever label like. But the truth is, unless we step into it, we'll never enjoy it. But it doesn't start out there. Revival's not going to start out there, I promise you. Revival's not going to start out there. Revival will start in here. See, until we let God break our hearts in here, we're not going to be touched the brokenhearted out there. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. That's the order of God. I didn't establish that. God established it. God wants to bring something to the church before it goes out there. If you're going to pray for revival, take your finger, bend it, Bend it and point there and say, Lord, start it here. Because yes. that's where revival needs to start. Yes. Oh, oh, stir up our pastor. Stir up our pastor's wife. Oh, get them into water, God. Stop it. You've got no right to pray like that. All you've got to do is say, God, I'm willing to let you do in me whatever you want to do. God, touch my life and let me be all that I'm meant to be. And I trust you to do what you need to do in everyone else's life too. See, we've got to come to this understanding. See, we have become very good at pointing out the faults in other people. I don't, let's not lie. We are all experts at it. Somebody walks into church, a newcomer. Oh, mm, they're one of those. Mm. Why do we do that? It's because we are insecure. If we were secure, we could go up to them and just, great to have you here today welcome you. If there's anything we've got, we share it with you today. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. We've got to come to that place. It's not about us, church. It's about him. Jeremiah 24, verse 7. I will give them a heart to know me. This is God speaking. I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. And they will be my people and I will be their God and they will return to me with all their hearts. 
God's not interested in just a, a, a little space of your life, young lady. I, I make you a promise. God is not just interested in your hands or your head or your feet or your toes. God wants the whole deal. Because unless you put the whole deal on the altar, putting anything else there is a waste of time. Amen? Oh, I give you my talents, Lord. Nah, God's got a house full of talents. He doesn't need yours. But what he doesn't have is you. See, until you climb up in the altar and say, I will be the sacrifice if need be. I'll be the sacrifice if need be. I'll be the sacrifice if need be. I'll be the sacrifice if need be. No longer a game, eh, sir? Mm. I'm going to, excuse me. He can put right what needs to be put right. There's nothing he cannot change. There's nothing he cannot rearrange. God says if you look at things only through your eyes, you'll only see confusion and defeat and disappointment. But if you learn to see it through God's eyes, I've got more intended for you than what you're enjoying. But you're focused so much on the negative, you fail to see the positive. God says, let me readjust your sight. God says, you've been looking here, but God says, it's time to look here. Because when you're looking here, you'll always have a downward attitude. But when you look upwards, God says, you change. Your vision will change. And you'll see things as God intends you to see. God says, I've got more than enough to meet every need that you have. But until you look in the right place, you'll never enjoy it. God says, I never came to rob you. I came to bless you. God says, let me open the doors. You've been trying to open them yourself. And God says, it's no longer your job. It's his. And all you've got to do is say, God, I, I want you to open the doors that I need to walk through. Give me the wisdom. Show me where I should be and what I should do. It's going to change your life, sir. But you have to make some choices. You know, this is the truth of where we're up, church. Pastor Richard, can I just five minutes more? Would that be all right? You know, when God puts this new heart in us, and I like to believe he can and he will, listen to what he says in Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. But then he says this, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. What's he talking about? He's talking about taking away the, the heart of indifference and giving us a heart that can feel again. I, I, I'm 79 years of age. I'm sitting in this meeting in Malaysia. It's not my country, but I'm in another country. And God lays a spirit of intercession upon my life in this huge big gathering. I'm not there as one of the recognized speakers. I was there ministering, but not as one of the recognized speakers. But God put this burden on me out. So I went to one of the leaders of the gathering and I said, hey, listen, you know, I feel that God's put my spirit. Is there any way that I can release this word? You know, I went to the side of the stage, out of the scene of the public, and I went round behind a curtain and I'm standing at the bottom of the Pastor Richard, this is the first time it's happened for over 20 years. The spirit of intercession and prophetic intercession reached, come upon. I literally doubled over and I felt like, I, like I, I can only describe it as I don't understand. It was like I was, something, if it wasn't released from me, I was actually going to be burst open. It just in such an intensity. They led me up on the stage. I was like a drunk man walking onto the stage. Not that I was drunk, I promise you. I delivered the word to those that were there. There were some, maybe five major national leaders. I delivered this word. It was a very strong word to them. They helped me off the platform. I literally fell down the stairs coming off the stage. I got to the bottom of the stairs and they had to put me in a chair because I, I didn't have the strength. I didn't feel like I had the strength to stand up. 
There was such a weight upon me at that moment of time. I don't say this to boast again. I say it to be truthful. I didn't go to that meeting expecting to do that. But I did go there with a heart that was open to God to be used of him to do anything he wanted me to do. I didn't do it because I chose to do it. I did it because God prompted me to do it. It cost me something. I had to walk in front of 4,000 people and run the risk of being wrong. There is a risk at times. But I want to tell you, when you do it for godly reasons and godly purposes, God will vindicate you and justify you. God won't hang you out to dry and stand back and point the finger and laugh at you. I promise you, God will never laugh at you. I believe God wants us to be people of influence in a real positive way. There's several other verses. Can we just quickly go through the last few slides? Next slide, please, if you don't mind. Caring like he cares will bring a change to the world. I truly, church, believe where we're up to is there. We can talk about revival. We can talk all sorts of things. But unless it starts inside you and inside me, we're not going to do it. The church has been trying to do it for 2,000 years our way. I think it's time for us to get back to God's way. That's why I'm telling you this day, it's time for us to learn to care like he cares. I want you to think of your family this morning. Do you love them like Christ loves them? Or do you love them conditionally? You just love them because they, they, they're good and make you happy? Or do you genuinely love them as Christ loved them? Think about your husband, your wife. Think about the people sitting beside you in church. Do you truly love them? Don't say you do if you don't. Please don't lie. You can lie to me, but you can't lie to God. You know, greater love has no one than this. He laid down his life. Church, until this church, as a church family, learn to lay down your lives for one another, this church is going nowhere. This church will go nowhere. Neither will any other church. I'd speak this message in other churches if I have opportunity. I truly will. But I believe it's time for the church to grow up. It's time for us to become all that we're meant to be. You know, I'm not going to be critical, but I make a statement. Pastor Richard urged people to come and sit up the front. Let me tell you, even where you sit in church can be an indication of where you are with God. Sometimes even where you sit in church can be an indication of where you are with God. It can be. I'm not saying it is, but it could be. An old man of God said this to me once as a young man. This is what he said to me, Pastor. Very simple. He said, Alec, don't, don't mind where other people sit, but he said, I choose to sit under this belt where the glory comes out. <laughs> so I suggest some of you need to relocate yourself in church. It might make you feel uncomfortable for a Sunday or two, but I'll tell you what, there, it does make a difference where you sit. See, when I used to go to church as a non-believer, and I have to tell you, I was a non-believer, I used to sit near the door, so when the service closed, I could be out the door as quick as one thing. I'm going to watch who goes out the door first today. <laughs> but every nation, I, I know your pastor's made comments. I, haven't, I don't come here often, and I don't have to come here often. But this man and I, have indeed, are building a friendship but I come here to happily serve him and happily serve you. I tell you this, church, I've been praying for this church since I had the invitation to come. I've been praying for this church on a daily basis. And I suggest some of you haven't even prayed for this church this week. Why don't you 
start taking responsibility for what you want. If you want this church to be different, invest in this church in your prayer and your love. You know, it's time for the, us to be the people that we say we are. You know, if you're going to say you love this church, then demonstrate you love it. Don't just use words. Demonstrate it. If you say you love the people around you, demonstrate it. Don't just talk about it. Oh, we're a great church. We love one another. What a pack of lies. It's time to get real. It's time for us to be willing to put down our lives. See, I made this choice many years ago. I chose to go to church for two reasons. One, I needed to go for myself. But you know the second reason I, I go to church? is because I never want to be a stumbling block to somebody I testify and witness to. Because if I'm talking to somebody out there and telling them that church is a great place to be, and one Sunday I don't come and they turn up looking for me, what are they going to think about this church that I say I love? You being in church, it's not about you being here for you, it's being here for others. Being here for others. See, you don't know who... You've got neighbours around you who are looking at you and they're observing you. They will know more about you than you think they think you think they do. So don't wave the Christian flag in the neighbourhood under any pretense unless you're willing to be the Christian that you say you are. It's time for us to put up our hand and say, Lord, here I am. Use me, Pastor Richard. Thank you for joining us. To know more about Every Nation Auckland City, you can visit our website at www.everynationauckland.city. For more messages like this, you can subscribe to this podcast through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts.